0: Digital 410 Productions proudly presents What's the Scuttlebutt Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt Podcast, your favorite World War II based podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode. We love having you around. And uh, today we're going to do another follow episode, long form interview with a World War II vet. You've seen him on TikTok at Story Times with Papa Jake. But as you know, before we get to all the fun stuff, i got to get the uh, plugs and all the uh, good stuff out of the way that helps bring this podcast to you. And if you want to help bring this podcast to you, the easiest way to do that is head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com and click on that big orange Patreon link on the right-hand side. Now, if you ain't familiar with Patreon, what it does is it allows you to help support the show, kind of like a PBS show, if you will. You go there. There's multiple tiers. One's a dollar a month. It will literally take $1 a month out of your uh, bank account. There's one for $3.50 a month, and there's one for $7.50 a month, I will say. As far as access to exclusive content, the um, OG5 podcast that we do on the Patreon page that only patrons can hear. um, Every once in a while, we put up exclusive YouTube videos that only patrons can watch. It doesn't matter what tier you sign up for. You all get access to the exclusive stuff. Um, We do a lot of beta testing on products, stickers, and all that fun stuff. And So if you want a WTSP die cut sticker, sign up on Patreon and uh, you get one. We always give all the Patreon stuff for free. So uh, you get free stickers. If you sign up for that long arms, deep pocket plan, that's the one for $7 and 50 cents a month. We will give you a free t-shirt on your second month. So month two rolls around. I'll send you a message. Hey, what size shirt do you want? Here's the link to the website. Pick a shirt, pick a size, pick a color, send me your address and we'll send it to you just as a thank you for uh, supporting the show. So you can support the show that way. And while you're on the internet, head over to YouTube and uh, look for Digital 410 on YouTube. That's our channel. We do a lot of our World War II stuff there. I actually have a long series about uh, what we call the WTSP Video Online YouTube Series. And you can see how we did our WTSP Podcast Studio in a Box. Now, to be honest with you, I'm not quite sure when this episode airs, but I will tell you this. Um, Today is Tuesday, and Thursday I'm heading up to Zephyr Hills because I was invited by a few of the guys down here. But I've been asked to come up, bring my airborne uniform and my gear. This uh, production company has rented out a hangar and got themselves a C-47. And they're going to do some um, shooting, some videotaping, some filming, if you will, of some airborne related material. The shoot starts at night. So I'm wondering if we may be going out back doing some exterior shots as well. Not sure. We will find out. But I'm super happy to get back into doing some background acting work and uh, getting behind the camera again and getting onto a a soundstage. So that ought to be fun. But enough of that, enough of me. As you all know, this episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast has been brought to you by our friends at ACT Computers. ACT Computers has been providing Southwest Florida with IT support since 2004. If you have any computer problems whatsoever, as long as you have internet, give them a call at 239-283-1120 or head over to their website, act-capecoral.com. You can also find them on Facebook at ACT Computers give them a call they can log in your computer remotely with your assistance of course and your permission and they can help you fix all your computer related problems and if you live here locally in southwest florida you can bring your computer down their shop your laptops your tablets whatever broken screen motherboard replacements they do it all if you have a small business and you need some server work or maybe have your network expanded they can help you out with that but for the rest of you who don't live down here They can help you 2 form authentication so that if you have employees working from home and they are remoting into your server and you're worried about security, they can help you out with that. Can express the importance of online backup. Give them a call at 239-283-1120. They can provide online backups at $0.07 a gig per month for the entire year. Give them a call at 239-283-1120. That's act-capecoral.com. And some of you have seen the K-Ration Supper Shirt. No, you haven't. You've seen the K-Ration dinner shirt that Jeff and I have worn in the photos. Well, I'm happy to announce we have now released the K-Ration supper shirt. So now you can get your supper shirt and your dinner shirt. Some of you don't realize that lunch wasn't called lunch back in the day. You had breakfast, supper, and dinner. Lunch was actually called supper. My grandparents in Kentucky always called lunch supper. They never called it lunch. So right now you can get your uh, supper and dinner shirt. The breakfast shirt is coming up here soon. You can get those over at WTSPWorldWar2.com. And for you, use the promo code, all capital letters, all one word, I listen. That'll save you $4. I know $4 doesn't sound like a lot, but I'm going to be honest with you. That's how much money I make off each t-shirt. So when you see that $22 price tag and you think I'm price gouging you, that's not the case. These are quality t-shirts. Teespring gets most of the money because they do all the shipping. They do all that stuff. I basically put a logo on there. They create the shirts. You buy the shirt. They send me $4. So because I love you and because you support the podcast, I'm giving you a promo code. It takes away my profits. So head on over there to WTSPWorldWar2.com. Click on the merch link. Buy yourself a shirt because I am more interested in you getting the name out there among the masses than I am that $4 profit. So thank you guys so much and let's get to it. Ah. Hello. Hello. How are you doing, Mr. Larson?
1: The name is Jake. Don't give me that Mr. Lovers. That was my dad's name. And yep. he passed away when he was 85.
0: How are things going with you, Jake? How are things in beautiful California today?
1: It is great. It is great.
0: Yeah, I missed the weather down there. We've been getting a lot of rain here in Florida because of the hurricanes that recently swept through and hit Texas. So uh, we've been getting a lot of rain, and there is concern that we may be getting a tropical storm this weekend. So... Hopefully that won't happen because, uh, well, I don't like my stuff getting blown away.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm, I'm glad I'm living in California. Uh, we, we used to go through that when I lived in Minnesota. We, we'd have uh, tornadoes. and uh, we, we didn't even call them tornadoes at the time. We, we called them uh, cyclones.
0: Cyclones, yep. You know, it's interesting you bring up the phrase cyclones because I was watching the Weather Channel this weekend because of the concerns of hurricanes and tropical storms, and they started using the word cyclone, which I hadn't heard anybody use in the longest time. So I thought that was interesting to hear that they didn't want to quite call them hurricanes, and so they were talking about the perspective of cyclones coming through. Yes.
1: Yeah. It's strange, isn't it?
0: Absolutely, I appreciate your time once again. You know, the last episode you were on, um, our listeners thoroughly enjoyed it. Our download numbers were through the roof. We got a lot of new listeners to the program. So first and foremost, let me thank your fans over at TikTok. And for you guys who don't know, uh, this is Papa Jake. I found him on TikTok, and you can find him on TikTok at Story Times with Papa Jake. Uh, they're great little one-minute videos where he goes over some of his um, World War II history, and that's kind of how I found him. And I figured with the limitations of TikTok and one-minute videos, why not bring to people a long-form interview? And so this is part two. The last time we left off, we briefly got into her Bastogne um, saga, but we pretty much left off at San Low. So I think we should pick up there. So you, you made it through D-Day. You made it through the landings. You made it through San Lo. Um, Best of your recollection, where do we pick up from there?
1: Valley uh, uh, Gap. Yeah.
0: Okay. Oh yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or, I don't know if I told you the rest of Sandlow.
0: No, when, we can we can start when there. It,
1: when it came uh, to to the end of Sandlow, and uh, I had, we were we were being shelled all all day, and uh, I don't work during the day. See. Uh, I'm uh, I'm a freelance guy. Uh, I operate G3 from 7.30 at night till 7.30 in the morning.
0: That's correct. I remember last episode, you were telling us that you had just been given that shift. You said, hey, uh, you are told, uh, 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 go uh, uh, grab uh, a nap and come back because you're working a 13-hour shift.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, that's the way it goes. But uh, anyway, after uh, we had just... Captured Sandlo, and the Germans were were pretty determined. They, they kept uh, firing artillery in there. And uh, seven thirty, man, I'm relieved, and I go have something to eat, and uh, I head for a ditch, just just a country road ditch. There, there's a. a a bank uh, on the side of that ditch that I peg in my shelter half and uh, pin it down at the bottom and crawl in there and fall asleep. Unbeknownst to me, those Germans firing their, those 155-millimeter cannon over over me, one of the shells just made it over me and landed on the road, and it was a dud. Thank you, you guys from Czechoslovakia who <laughs> were forced to make the shells.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess if there's one benefit to slave labor and inscripted labor, it's that they're not exactly motivated to make sure the products work. So we got a lot of a lot of lives saved due to sabotage by the the uh, forced laborers over in Germany.
1: Oh, they they got the bomb disposal squad out there, and they were sandbagging that thing and going to blow it up. And it was just about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I woke up. See, see, I could sleep through anything. People were talking me. if you did not put your hand on me, I would not wake up. So, so I, I woke up, and these guys were walking around up there on that road. And uh, So I took the lining out of my, my helmet and put in some water there and brushed my teeth and, and uh, d- dumped that water out and was going to put in a little more and, and shave. And somebody up on the road said, What the hell are you doing down there? I said, I just brushed my teeth. I, says, I thought I'd shave now. God, he says, I thought we cleared this place. He says, we, we got a 155 millimeter shell that came right over you and landed on the road, and we're sandbagging it. We're going to blow it up.
0: That would have been a heck of a uh, wake-up call.
1: <laughs> my, my life has been, everything that happened has been close. But uh, close when it counts in hand grenades and horseshoe. Yep. So uh, <laughs> I had to get this story in because uh, my life is still that way. At 97 years old, I don't have an ache or a pain in my body. No arthritis, no thing like that. I, I I do have 11 stents in me, which is a pretty unusual thing. Yeah. You will not want to find that. I'm, it's probably what's given me good circulation.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, your valves are nice and wide open. Now, <laughs> on a previous interview, you were talking about a lot of times throughout the war when you found yourself in a near-death experience. And you felt that the young man who sadly lost his life to a, a bullet on the beach when you asked him for a cigarette, you felt that uh, a lot of times he was looking out for you. Do you think maybe uh, he uh, was looking out for you that morning, too? Uh,
1: uh, I, uh, I think I had help from above, from everyone. My life was too chancy uh, without help from someone. Uh, and it certainly wasn't me. I I was just an ordinary soldier, but but things just kept happening to my benefit.
0: Yeah. Did you find as the war went on that you kind of, when you actually had time to sit down and process things, obviously when things are going on, you're just going through the motions, you're doing your training, you're doing your job. But did you find yourself when things got a little quiet or you had a little R&R, as seldom as that was, that you started to get a little bit of survivor's guilt?
1: No, I I never felt like that. I I thought we and uh, everybody that I was working with, we we were determined. We we had this determination. We were not going to back down for the Germans, and uh, we we were going to clean them out of France. And uh, we did. We did. We actually, in plain terms, we kicked their ass. Absolutely. And uh, it, it, uh, I, I don't like to say uh, nasty words, or, but, but I can't explain it any better.
0: Not and a problem.
1: We, we just did that. So,
0: um, so you just got yelled at. They're going to really blow up that... Um more that round that didn't go off. They sandbagged it. I'm sure you quickly gathered up your belongings and got, I got, got out, out of, of there. <laughs> uh,
1: yes. Y- yes. Uh, I went and found something to eat. And, uh, there, there was always something open to, for the mess for, uh, uh, the guys that, uh, worked worked at night. We had our lunch at night in the middle of the night like, at 12 o'clock. We'd have, uh, our, our dinner so um, life was strictly different for me than ordinary soldiers uh, and uh, i took advantage of that
0: well absolutely like
1: like when we, when we went to paris i walked around during the day and checked things out and uh, I went to the Louvre. I'm, I'm color I was colorblind then I was born colorblind. And uh, I, I did not appreciate the Louvre. No. I, 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 I'm one of those guys that uh, could look at a painting. And say, man, I could have done better than that. You
0: know, <laughs> I feel the same way about tattoos. That's why I don't have any. I'm like, why do I want to spend that kind of money for that kind
1: yeah, of? Money? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what? Why buy something like that, or why save something like that, man? Uh, 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 some some child I know does better work than that with the crayons.
0: Well, yeah. we, know, we know that the Germans were in possession of France for a good period of time. We've all seen the pictures of Hitler in front of the Eiffel Tower and and going around to all the monuments. What sort of condition did they leave uh, Paris in when they, when they hightailed it out of there?
1: You, you wouldn't know that they were there.
0: Really? They were that respectful to the city and to yeah. the arts?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The only way you knew is that they weren't there. It's the people first suddenly become free, and they, they were jolly, and uh, they were hugging you and kissing you. Hey, thanks for the liberation. Uh, that's the uh, the the Germans. They did not sack Paris. They uh, made it a free city. And uh, while while they made it a free city, the French, uh, free, free French, came in there with uh, cars and machine guns and everything, and uh, throwing throwing these uh, Molotov cop- cocktails at the, the Germans were clearing out, sure. and they threw these Molotov cops into those trucks, and, and uh, flames had come out. And those Germans. Would, come out of there loaded with gasoline and stuff on them and burning. Uh, it, 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 it was a kind of a, an uneven fight. But I did not go through what those free French people did. So I, I, I'm my opinion now that they shouldn't have done that. But uh, who knows how they were treated for four years. Uh, if, if they were caught, they were shot. Yeah. If, if, there, there was no pleading, not guilty or so or so. They, they shot them. And not only did they shoot them, they probably shot their family, too.
0: Or, or worse, especially if they're the, yeah. the female or, persuasion, or if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah. Uh, so uh, I stayed at the Normandy Hotel. And that was the first shower
0: I had since D-Day. I know Uh, it was a long time ago, and it's kind of hard to recall, you know, super in-depth memories, but what was it like to experience someone else getting their freedom back fully? Because here, obviously, here in America, we... we, um, we don't take for you know we kind of take for granted the freedoms in which we have. I mean we're seeing it on TV right now with all the craziness going on, but you're someone who actually witnessed. Not only did you witness, but you participated in the uh, reclaiming of a country's freedom and have that handed back to the people. What is it like to actually watch somebody when they've been living? Out, yeah, and like you said, the Germans were. I don't want to use the term nice, but they were less harsh on the people of Paris and they were in other places. You know, they didn't completely destroy the town, um, but they were still but under... They, oh, they,
1: they, they had to toe the line yes. and obey. Uh, uh, free, pe- free people don't like to obey. They don't like to scrape and uh, bow, bow to someone. Uh, and... Uh, uh, they, they, they were joyous <laughs> I, I couldn't sp- they, they didn't speak English <laughs> but they demonstrated English because they, they, hugs and kisses it doesn't matter who they're from the language doesn't count it's uh, it's the way you give them The appreciation they they showed, it's an unbelievable thing to go through. But but, but we were happy. We we were happy to be there.
0: And I don't think a lot of people realize how, you know, my grandfather was over there in the war. He he did grave registration in Europe. Um, So obviously I'm one generation removed with my parents. But um, I don't think people realize how beneficial of what ob- – well, obviously, freeing countries from tyranny is beneficial. But just for the sake of what I'm getting to, you being an American, seeing people who have had their freedoms taken away, seeing people who've been going through terrible things, and then you well, witness – For four years. For four four years. years. And then you You and your entire generation witnessed that, and it's burned into your brain of how valuable and how delicate freedom is. And then you guys bring that back here to the States, and you remind your children of that, and your children remind their their children and your grandchildren of that. And I think the world itself has benefited greatly from that sharing of that experience, the reminder of that experience. But I'm almost wondering if we're getting... just far enough removed now that on a worldwide scale, um, the current generations, they don't realize what happened back then and how delicate and how much of a gift true, honest-to-God freedom is. And I wonder if that's why we're starting to see some of the people uh, doing these resentful things that they're doing now. Uh,
1: Don, uh, I'm, I'm truly amazed with these little talks. Like right now, and the ones I have with my granddaughter and you, the results stagger me. Like I got tears thinking about it. Yeah. I've got over a million followers that have looked at my stuff. I don't think I even deserve that. It's those people that are buried over there. They made it possible for me to be here.
0: Yes, but you you carry a very valuable role. It's your, I don't want to say job or duty, but the the task that you have taken on yourself is to share their stories because obviously they can't. And um, obviously I'm a living historian. I'm a World War II reenactor. And a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are. And what we try to do is talk to gentlemen like you and, and your colleagues and people of your generation so that we can learn as much as we can so we can take that task on and share your story when you're not able to. And as an example, uh, today's two, uh, when, what is it, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, tomorrow night I'm actually driving two and a half hours going up to an airport in Zephyr Hills to uh, participate in the filming of a documentary where... Um, they're filming the B-roll, if you will, so that when they're talking to a vet, um, they cut to the action scenes. And I'm actually going up there in my uh, 101st Airborne impression. This company's rented out a hangar. They got a C-47. And so me and my friends are going up there. We're going to play the roles of the men of your generation of the 101st Airborne so that when this program hits TV or the film circuit, wherever it's going, we can do our part in taking the information that we've gotten from your generation and keeping that message and that story alive. And that's one one of the things that's most important to me with this podcast is to interview vets like yourself and your brethren and get that message out there and have a permanent available source for people to hear it at any time they want. And then we can also learn from your all's message and carry that on so that we can continue to try to carry on the message of peace and what came from the war. As you're actor's, you know, Some people think we're trying to glorify war. We're not. We're trying to remind people of the gifts that came from it, why it had to happen, why it was so necessary, and why it's so important to remember the horrible details so that we can appreciate the package, the gift that came from it, in the form of somewhat worldwide peace, with the exception of the communist countries.
1: Uh, I, I, well, I'm staggered with the response I've got. Uh, I'm I'm a little farm boy from Hope, Minnesota, and uh, <clears throat> I, I tell people uh, I I think I put Hope on the map. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I have uh, friends who said, uh, "My God, Jake, you, you, you're giving all that information. How much are they paying you?" I I said I, I'm not in it for for money. I said I. I we're doing this to honor those that, that gave their life for me to be here. It, 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 those cemeteries are full over there. We, we left thousands and thousands of, of soldiers. And uh, I, I lived that Yeah. at the 75th anniversary of D-Day. I was down there on Omaha Beach Cemetery. And to tell you the truth, that's the first time I was in a military cemetery. Uh, I came in on Omaha Beach with, with part of the of, of the 1st Division. We had the 1st and 29th Division. And Operation Sergeant, I had come in with them. When I had five reporters with, with their television cameras. Following me, and they said, "Walk out amongst the the graves and uh, start start reading one of the inscriptions." I I walked out, and the first inscription I read was a private from the first division. I I, I don't know if I, I did the proper thing, but, but I backed up and raised my hat in salute to him. That, that has gone viral, that, that picture of me. I, I, didn't, I, I still to this day don't know if that's a proper way of uh, acknowledging all those guys that gave their life. Over 9,000 on Omaha Beach alone. And then there's 60,000 that gave their life at the Battle of the Bulge. And not only 60,000 gave their life, they said a little a postscript after the 60,000 gave their life 10,000 missing. How is that possible? How, how, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm astounded.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, trying to... Well, one, I guess a little bit back then, the logistics was, you know, you're trying to keep track of all these things Men and these numbers on both sides. Then you have, in the case of Bastone and Battle of the Bulge, the artillery fire was so intense, at least I've been led to believe through reading and watching shows, that um, a lot of the guys were just hit with more, you know, artillery fire on both sides, and there's just nothing left of them to claim. And then obviously you have the
1: 2,000. Yeah. Yeah. that the Germans captured a lot yeah. when they first came in uh, uh, on December sixteenth. They came in that morning, and uh, man, uh, that's an experience. Yeah, I'm wide awake because uh, I I was working nights. See. And uh, it kind of gave itself away at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's when a guard, a corporal guard, MP corporal guard on post number 6 came in, and he was so excited. He he saluted me. I'm a staff sergeant. And uh, you you don't salute salute non-commissioned officers. And he was so excited, he saluted me. And uh, he, he looking right at me, he knew I was a sergeant because he said, Sergeant, I'm from post number six. Uh, uh, I was walking my post and I looked up and uh, there were German parachuters coming down. I says, what did you do? He says, I ran and jumped in my Jeep and came up here to tell you. I says, good shot. So that, that was the start of the Battle of the Bulge. And to think I was in
0: on it. Yeah. How, obviously, you guys had limited people, because the whole thing was, for better lack of a better phrase, an ambush on a huge scale. You guys, no one was oh, thinking yeah, they were going to push through the Ardant it, Forest in the middle of the winter time, And so you had a limited amount of troops to put up on what now has become the front line. And then we've all heard the stories where you got to, you know, the, the MPs went out and started, pulling people out of uh, R&R and off of leave and all that. And due to uh, the rapid influx of men into the area, there was lack of supplies, lack of ammo, lack of winter gear. But roughly in your recollection, how many hours or days did it take to get enough guys to create what you guys felt was a substantial front line to secure the area?
1: well, Well, we didn't. We, we, we were cut off. We were cut off from First Army. We, we were up at Eupen, which would be uh, north northeast corner, and uh, we had control of melbodie and all that there. But the Germans came right right in our control and cut us off from th- those towns down there. Now. I think i talked about the Melbourne Massacre before. And uh, this is unbelievable. We were cut off from First Army. We're a corps under First Army. So, in order to uh, get orders and everything, we were assigned to Field Marshal Montgomery's. 21st Army Group, we were 12th Army Group, under Bradley, and uh, we went to uh, Field Marshal Montgomery's, uh, and uh, I saw him, he came, came there and picked up cigarettes and stuff for his troop, he didn't smoke himself. But he liked to be in command, so he was the one that's going to give out cigarettes. If he was going to be sure. cigarettes, give it out.
0: Absolutely, uh, no better way to earn but, respect than some uh, quality cigarettes or maybe a candy bar here and there if you can find it.
1: But but people will be listening to this now, and they say, "What did you do in uh, the the British service? We." were part of the offensive when uh, the 3rd Army, Patton's 3rd Army, came up from that side. We put the squeeze on them from the north. And that forced them back. That was the end of them right there. They they just dropped their weapons and walked out. Left everything there, the tanks, the guns, the rifles, ammunition... And and walked
0: out. Now let me ask you this: back up a little bit, because obviously one of the things the Battle of the Bulge and bastone is known for is the extreme cold. And we all know that it gets colder at night than it does in day. And you grew up in Minnesota, so you know you're kind of tempered in cold steel, if you will. Do you uh, f- uh, looking back at it, do you kind of see it as an advantage that you work nights so that you could try to sleep in the day when it's just a smidge, a little bit warmer due to the sun?
1: I I think my, my life is planned from above, Don. Sure. I I I I'm mystified with it. I I, I really am. I I, I it, it's hard for me to believe that uh, there's no one else I was in the service with still alive except me. How is that possible? In less than five months, I'm going to be 98 years old.
0: Well, I'm going to wish my you a happy birthday is, now.
1: My mind is fairly stable. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And my body is stable. I've got a little infection in one of my teeth that I'm going to have to have taken care of. i got an appointment now with the dentist. But. Uh, uh, other than that, I don't know what aches or pains are. And me with 11 stents in me had a terrific stroke 20 some years ago, 27 probably. But, uh,
0: how are you guys, I'm
1: blessed.
0: how are you guys dealing with, you know, interaction with your family members and all that with the COVID going on out there in California?
1: i I'm in a particularly there again I'm the luckiest man in the world. I live with my two sons and their offspring and now their offspring has all got homes of their own I'm not only a grandpa. Uh, grandpa nine times. Uh, I'm a great grandpa, eleven times, and uh, 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 one of my grandchildren, uh, uh, one of my grandchildren, gave 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 birth uh, a year ago to a girl. And it's pregnant again, so uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I, I don't know how to say it anymore. <laughs> great, great, great. Grandpa but, uh, to the 10th power. Uh, but uh, it, it always comes time. I, I'm a grandpa, so, so I'm known as Papa Jake. Uh, <clears throat> Even my own son called me Papa Jake. That's beautiful. So uh, it's it easy for all. Uh, I don't have to worry if I'm uh, if I'm that one's great, great or just a great. Uh, they're all my family.
0: Have you ever really and sat around and, and took a moment to realize how much history you have witnessed in your life? Obviously World War Two, Television.
1: Uh, I've I've got a book coming out, done. Do you? Yeah, but, but the, this, these stories that I'm telling you will be in that book.
0: Is there a working title yeah. for the book?
1: Uh, d- yes, I've got a title for the book: "The Lucky Luckiest Man in the World," Jake Larson.
0: Because I'm yeah. uh, I'm sitting here thinking, obviously, World War II, television advent, Vietnam, Korean War. Color TV, computers, Internet.
1: I have none of that.
0: Well, I'm just saying you've witnessed it through, throughout your life. Oh,
1: I've witnessed Oh, yeah. I used to be a television repairman.
0: Television repairman, the first African-American president, and now COVID-19. Yep. Just the amount, the, the wide span of history that you've witnessed and participated in, it's just kind of got, it's got to be a little mind-boggling sometimes, isn't it?
1: I think Harrison was the president when I was born, but, but, but I remember Herbert Hoover, and uh, he, he, he got in for a chicken in every pot, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then uh, Roosevelt got in there, and you couldn't pry him out with a crowbar. He, he got in for four terms, which is very unusual that I lived through that. And uh, President Roosevelt, when I, I turned 21 while I was overseas uh, after, uh, during the war, I, I got a chance to vote. And I voted for President Roosevelt for his fourth term. Uh, you won't find many people that have done that.
0: Isn't that the truth?
1: And I voted over, over from overseas.
0: Yeah, talking about a mail-in ballot. <laughs> that's a V-mail ballot. Yeah,
1: that's, that's, that's a cr- crazy thing.
0: You know, a while back, um, when we were suffering through the recession and unemployment was through the roof, some people suggested maybe that we take a a chapter from the good days, from the 40s and the 30s, and bring back the Civilian Con- Conservation Corps to help, one, do the jobs at the Civilian Concentration, uh, Civilian Concent, Conver- <laughs> I'm sorry, tongue-tied, Anyhow, do what they did Con- back then. Richard. Yes, and, uh, you know, building roads and um, all the infrastructure stuff and provide, not only provide work. Well, that but-
1: was, the, uh, the, the roads were built by the WPA. Work, that was called, WPA, Works Project Administration. Uh, i i lived through all those yeah uh, those c c c caps uh, I had an older brother that was twelve years older than me he went to that they paid army wages thirty dollars a month
0: well thats kind and the
1: man the work that they did you couldn't hire that work done for three times that much yeah so uh, that was a bonanza. <clears throat>
0: well, not only did it provide our, not only did it, not only did it provide employment, but at the time it provided much needed food and and housing, and not only that, but since it was ran kind of loosely by a branch of the military, it provided a lot of uh, structure and um,
1: those, work those ethics people to people who needed it. Grew up in WPA, they became good
0: soldiers too. Absolutely. And so it would be. It would. I don't know if it would work on today's scale. I mean, yes, providing the jobs and doing that type of work may um, may work now, but definitely not the input and the military style structure that wouldn't fly nowadays. But it would be a good source to help get some people who have lost their jobs with what's going on to get back to work.
1: Well, well people don't realize what uh, money was. Compared to now, sure. Uh, think of it. I was born in nineteen twenty-two. When I when I started to go into town, five, six years old, with a younger brother alongside of me, and we like to go to the five and ten cents store and just look at stuff. And we'd ask my dad for some money so we could go to the five and dime store. I I, I am not making this up, so help me God. He gave us each a penny. And he says, don't spend it all in one place now. And we trottle off to the five and dime. And we looked at Everything. Everything. Rubber bands were five cents for a big package of those rubber bands. That, that those rubber bands, we were making sling slots at home, and we <laughs> we tried to cut inner tubes into rubber bands so we could make. You cannot cut an inner inner tube straight with a scissors. Nope. So here, those rubber bands were five cents. I put a pack of those in my pocket, Uh and when I got home with those rubber bands, we got the slingshots out on the table and putting those rubber bands on. My mother came along and says, where did you get the rubber bands? Oh, we got them at the dime store. How much did they cost? Wow! Wait a minute. We had two cents. I said, well, I I, I didn't pay for them. Nobody was looking, so I put them in my pocket. She says, put them up on the buffet, and next week when we go in, you are going to carry those back in and tell them you stole them. Worst year of my life. Worst week of my life.
0: Waiting, the anticipation.
1: They had a runner. Uh, It it seemed like 10 miles long to the cash register where the manager was, and uh, I felt like crawling under that baby and getting up there. What what a lesson. What a lesson. I
0: had a pretty wise mother. Not only is that a wise lesson, that's kind of a great snapshot in comparison. Um I think as years gone by, nowadays a mother would say, "Hey, you don't take things that don't belong to you," but I don't know how many of them would go through the effort of driving back to the store to return a dollar item or something. They may, you know, chastise their child. The five, Five yeah, cents. Was, I was <laughs> yeah, I was adjusting for inflation because there's nothing anybody could buy for five cents now. But my point being is um, the lesson that you learned, because once again, you had to wait a week. So the anticipation, not knowing what the store manager was going to say oh, to you, not knowing what your parents were going to say to you. So that that little thing of your mom making you return that item has probably served you so well throughout your life because it just... It's one of the most important values and lessons in life is you don't take things that don't belong to you. And if you don't have the money to get it, don't steal it. Go out and earn the money and then go buy it. And by the way, and it's funny when you brought this up because I was thinking I have another podcast. It's a general entertainment podcast. But my brother and I were talking about how when we were kids, when we didn't have money for things, we would window shop, which I don't think kids do that nowadays. And we would go, for example, we were heavily into skateboarding at the time, and we didn't. they were quite expensive, and we didn't have the money. So we'd go to the skateboard shop, and we would study every component that made up that skateboard and all the different brands and the different prices, and we would build a catalog in our head. Okay, when I have the money, I need to save up this money. And we would learn everything about that particular item so that when we actually had the money, we would go to the store. And it became so important to us. And so instead of just going out and buying it and leaving and playing with it for an hour, when you spend months planning, learning, educating yourself, saving up the money, when you finally got that item, it meant so much more to you that you utilize it for a longer period of time. And something like skateboarding or surfing or biking or scuba diving, it becomes a lifestyle and not something you just tried for 10 minutes and walked away from.
1: Um, I never knew what uh, toys were. Yeah. Uh, never owned a bike. Uh, uh, we we asked for a bike, and my dad said bicycle. that they, they cost five dollars. I can buy a car for that. Yeah. You can buy a Model T e car with good tires at that time for five dollars. I'm not joking, because my brother did. Yeah. My brother Neil bought them,
0: and. It- and you kind of hit on another good point. Not only has you got to pay the $5 for the bike, but in four months, or if you run over a nail, you got upkeep. Now you yeah. You got to spend it, money on tires. Like tires are up, yeah, tubes or whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, well, I never had the luxury of owning a bike, and uh, it's, uh, it's uh, I've paid for quite a few of them with my kids. <laughs> uh, and I, I can ride a bike, but uh, I am not comfortable on a bike.
0: Sure.
1: Uh, there's a difference in riding a bike and comfort comfortable. I don't feel safe on a bike. And some of these kids jump. Oh, man. My stomach goes right right up out, out when I see that happen.
0: Isn't it funny how things work? Here's a man who landed on D-Day, was there to the Battle of the Bulge, but the, the thought of riding a bike through traffic makes you woozy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, wh- yeah, where did the where did the war end for you? Were you there through the duration? Did you get to go home? Did you get the battle, points? The,
1: ba- the, the the war war ended at the Battle of the Bulge. For me, I, 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 before when the Battle of the Bulge was ending, there, December thirty first, uh, uh, General Daro authorized 45 days leave to all those that had enough points. Well, I I, I pushed everybody else. I had 127 points, where other guys had barely 100. Uh, Because the point system, that's the way it was. How long you were in the service, how long you were overseas, and... uh, that's how that was all figured I, I, I don't ask me to do it now because I, I, I can't but I do know I had 127 points and uh, I was one of the first one chosen to, to go back home. I was the only one out of G3 and
0: uh, did they send you back that th- did they send you back through England first or did you leave straight straight from France?
1: I left from France. Uh, 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 they sent me to La France. And this is an interesting story all in its own. Your next interview should be on that, because that is one of the most interesting stories.
0: Something happened on that ride home?
1: Uh, I, 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 Yes, well, it happened before we even went home. That was, Le Havre was a German submarine place.
0: Okay, I see where you're going with that. So, had, so we'll leave the audience wanting more. They
1: had, they had these Quonset homes there. I came in there 11 o'clock at night. This is just a preview of what you're going to hear. Sure. I came in at 11 o'clock at night, and they said, you're in bed number one, right there, right inside. There's a light switch inside the door. So I came inside that door with my pants and stuff, and and, uh, I'm I'm ready to go home, you know, (laughs) drop that stuff down and uh, go, go to my bed. Rip back the covers, get undressed down to my underwear, crawl, crawl on my bed, shut that light off, and uh, the next, i I'm just about dozed off, and it felt like something was jumping on my chest. A little ticky, ticky, ticky thing jumping on my chest i got up turned the light on and and uh, i was loaded with fleas oh no oh and then those guys were hollering shut the goddamn light up what the hell did you do (laughs) i I said that i I, I was putting my clothes on they said where are you going i said i want to find the supply sergeant and get some flea powder Oh, he won't get up at this time of the night. Uh, I said, he'll get up, all right. And uh, 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 now we're going to leave off there because uh, there's no stopping me now, I see. But uh, we'll leave off till the next time. And... uh, I told you this is kind of an interesting
0: story, but... uh I'm all for it. That's what we look for here. We look for uh, interesting stories and continuing to tell your tale. Papa Jake, thank you so much for joining us for another episode, and I will get a hold of you behind the scenes here shortly, and we'll set up your third follow-up episode, and I'm going to ask you nicely. I was going through your TikTok page, and you are posting all these beautiful photos of you in the service if you could uh, maybe have your uh, granddaughter send a few of those our way so that we can post those on the website with this episode and thank you so much for everything sir it's always a pleasure thank your family for me and i hope all is well in california and you continue to stay healthy not even having so much as an ache and or a pain sir Thank you, Don. You're a pleasure to work with. And just let me Thank know uh, when that book gets ready to go to print and when it comes out, and we'll make sure that uh, we put up links and we'll get everybody out there to buy that book of yours too. Uh, uh,
1: all right, have a good one, and all you listeners, just remember, Papa Jake loves y'all.
0: And we'll talk to you soon, sir. Thank you. All right, bye bye. This has been a Digital Four Ten production. <laughs>